That is a wonderful song, and I'm so very thankful for that. And uh, you think about those lyrics, and there's, uh, there's one particular, particular line, um, when I can barely breathe, there's still a song. And, and sometimes I hear these lyrics, and it takes me a while to think through, through them, and I feel like it, there are times that's just pandering to emotion. When I can barely breathe, there's still a song. But I've ministered with people when the tears and the heartache was so heavy, it was hard to breathe. And there are losses and there are pains. You know what I'm talking about, right? And it it gets hard to breathe sometimes because of the heartbreak and the fear that you're going through. But even in those moments, there is still a song. And then I heard this line. It took me a while to deal with this line just for it to be okay in my mind. But I can feel feel faith rising up. Listen, we, we live by faith and not by sight. I recognize that. But you know what it's like to feel fear and anguish and even resentment sometimes welling up inside of you. But then you hear the word of God. You hear truth that's conveyed. And in the place of that, you start to, you start to sense that the faith of Jesus Christ begins to take place. And begins to take up some room. You know what I'm talking about? And it's good for us to hear songs like that. That our God is big enough. And I'm so thankful for that. Young people, once again, you made me proud. And I love you and I'm thankful for you. You did a great job and I'm so thankful for their willingness in it. And listen, I'm thankful for mom and dads who help, help their children be excited about doing stuff at church. And when pastors got some kind of harebrained idea like, hey, let's do this. And then moms and dads are just accommodating and say, hey, we're going to make sure our kids can be there if it's possible. That is a blessing, and I'm thankful for it. So thank you, moms and dads, for that. Well, I'm going to ask Pastor Vought to go ahead and make his way up here. Miss Misty, would you please stand? This is Brother John's wife, Misty Vought. Let's give her a good welcome, please. And then uh, I won't make them stand. Let me me get eyes on them where they go. Okay, Nason is right here. Where is Nolan? Nolan is sitting in the back with Jaden and Asher. And then Naya is over here. This is their three children. So... Um, in 2002, Andrea and I moved to Oklahoma City to attend Heartland, and that is where we met John and Misty, and it developed a relationship pretty quickly, and it, it just grew over the years, and it's been a blessing to maintain that relationship and to in, increase the depth of that relationship, and then to see our children grow up and to be going through the, some of the similar things and then trying to raise our families the same way. And it's just great to be able to see another family do that and have such a close relationship with that. You know, I, I told John about this. I, I don't remember where I read this. I read it as a young man. But it was a statement about how if you want to be, if you want to be a godly man, then surround yourself with the kind of men that you want to be like. And so intentionally, as a younger man, and even today, I target, I've targeted people that I, I thought or I sensed would help me become a better man. And early on in college, John Bott was one of those uh, that I targeted. I just want a relationship with men that are going to help me be a better man. 
And uh, the Lord has used him in my life in some very specific ways. And so I'm very, very thankful for that. In addition to just the friends that they are to us and the way that they've loved us and encouraged us, Brother John is an avid mountain biker, and so he must be right with God. And he actually, that's been one of, that's one of the ways that he has helped me in my life, is to get better at that. And so I praise the Lord for that. It doesn't mean much to y'all, but I'm thankful for it. So um, uh, we're glad just to have some time with them and asked him to preach tonight. And so let's make sure that we give our good attention to Pastor Vaught as he comes to preach. Can you remind me what year you started Northway? I'm sorry. 2013, it started Northway Baptist Church in Sedona. Air, excuse me. So I've got mountain biking on my head. Um, uh, Sedona is north. That's the mountain biking mecca in Scottsdale, Arizona. God gave Brother, uh, Brother and Mrs. Vaught a very specific burden about reaching and ministering to the rich, to the wealthy. And Scottsdale is high-end, if you've ever been there. And sometimes we have this idea, well, well, if they live in that nice of a house, then, then they're not, I mean, what do they need? Well, they need the same thing that everybody else needs. They need the, they need the gospel. And uh, there are challenges to that kind of a ministry, but God has blessed it, and God has given a great work there, and we're so thankful for that and thankful for the way they minister and excited about being ministered to, to tonight. So at home and here, let's give our good attention to the Word of God and give Brother Vaught a good welcome as he comes. Well, it's good to be back. I guess I would have been here in 2014 or maybe 2015, and uh you know, what Pastor said about making good friends, uh, I saw him and kind of thought the same thing. Uh, we both went into Heartland married, and you know, you can just sense if someone has a serious desire towards the Lord, and I sense that about uh, Brother Jonathan, and uh, I was thinking the same thing. I want to acquaint myself with a guy like that, and so I just say to the young people, you better choose your friends right change your life. It can. It can. And so uh, I love you, Pastor Pyle. And uh, wasn't this morning good? Um, I don't know if you take notes. Um, I, I keep a journal, uh, not of my own preaching, obviously. Well, I guess I do because I've got all my notes. <laughs> that, that counts as a journal, doesn't it? But uh, I try to journal the times that I'm in God's Word. And I, I'm not sure, you know, people got used to Jesus' preaching. Did you know that? You just got accustomed to it. And greatest preacher in the world, in the universe of all time. No man matched his power and authority. And yet you can get used to preaching like that. And this church has been blessed with some solid preaching. Of course, Brother Cook, who started this church. And then uh, Brother Hetzer. And then, of course, uh, Brother Jonathan. And the preaching that you got this morning is just right on. It's right on because he gave you a centralized thought, and I, I wrote it down. In fact, I used it on my son on the way home <laughs> to the house before we got to, he had a bad attitude. So I talked to him about the position of the possession of his mind in his mouth, and he needs to make sure he uses that in a way that fits God's purpose. And uh, I just, I, I just want to encourage you not to take for granted what you have here because it's special. It's special. You don't get preaching like this everywhere. And uh, so um, just was good. Good to be in God's house. And uh, how many of you can remember um, 
what you ate for dinner last week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Most of you can't, can you? You might remember one of those days. And uh, I only say that to say each one of those days, though you didn't remember what you ate for that particular day, it was important and it, it brought you here. Without having those meals, you couldn't be here today. And that's the same with church. And uh, it, church is meaningful whether you're uh, up on the plateau, on the mountaintop, or whether you're in the valley. Church is meaningful. I'm so thankful that uh, me getting something uh, to eat spiritually isn't dependent upon how I feel at the moment. And even if you came to church tired tonight, God bless you for being here. God uses that. And uh, you probably won't remember what I preach uh, next week, but all of it is part of the process of God developing us and growing us. And every service is important. Every service is important. Yeah, very good. Would you find Matthew 14? Matthew 14, I'm glad the young men are sitting up here. I didn't intentionally um, prepare this message for the young men. Um, but I hope you capture this. How, how many are juniors or seniors in here in high school? Juniors or seniors? How many are liars in here? <laughs> juniors or seniors, very good. What about the... Young ladies, very good. I just want to ask you, um, would you listen, not to me tonight. I don't want you to hear from me. I hope that you don't hear from me. I want you to, I want you to see something from this passage. And um, your, your world that you're going to go into as an adult is going to need this. And uh, it's easy to sing this song that you just sang, it's different to live that. I just, I want to ask, I want to ask the young men, but everyone here tonight, do you really believe your God's big enough? No, I, I mean, you really believe he's big, that he's alive. Do you believe he's doing miracles today? Do you believe he's changing people's lives? I'm just asking, do you really believe that? I hope God has something for us. The message that we're going to look at, I don't have anything profound to give you. I won't tell you anything that you don't already know. But it's a simple truth that has changed my life and is still changing my life. In fact, as, I'm, as I was preparing and looking over my notes this afternoon, I said, God, I'm not even worthy to preach this. And... And I need this. I, I want you to know I, I don't, I tend to get a little bit excited like your pastor at times and, um, and, and I might get excited, but I want you to know that I'm, I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'll be preaching to you. I need this message. You need this message. Our world, our world needs this message. God's, this message that we're going to look at tonight is what God used to help me surrender to church planning. He, he, he's used this message to be the Christian that God wants me to be. And I know that God wants to use this message in your life in that same way. 
this message, if really the, even half of the church were to really grab onto the truth that we're going to look at tonight, if, if, just half, if just half of the church were to grab onto this truth, it'd be amazing to see what God will do here. I don't care what COVID will bring or how much worse it gets, a second, a third, a fifth, a tenth wave of COVID. It doesn't matter if half the church grabs onto the truth that we'll look at tonight. You would be amazed as to what God would do here over the next year. Now, I'm going to start, I told you Matthew 14, right? I'm not going to tell you the verse because I don't want you cheating yet. I want you looking ahead. I'm going to start in a different way than I normally do. I want to start with a video. I don't typically start with videos, but um, it's a video from a secular realm of life. And I hope that by the end of the message, you'll recognize how fitting it is with what we're going to look at tonight. Let me, let me set up the video just a little bit. Many of you may be already familiar with a man named Alex Honnold. He is uh, the most famous rock climber in all of history, really. He is known for free soloing. What that means is that you rock climb without any ropes. One of his goals has been to free solo El Capitan, which is in Yosemite. 3,000 vertical foot sheer cliff straight up. And so we're going we're gonna to see this same truth that, uh, get this, that Alex handled as an unbeliever, was able to grasp onto and, and do what many would say is the impossible, a secular man. We're not going to look at this. I want you to see what he was able to accomplish, and hopefully by the end of the message you'll see how applicable this example is to our passage. Let's go ahead and play this video, man. It's pretty remarkable, isn't it? I don't know if you caught it, but he prepared for that for two years, some specific training for two years. He said for over 10 years, not in this video, he said that he had been already preparing his mind and working through his own fears just so he could attempt that. Ten years working through his own fears to prepare that. Two years of actual uh, hands-on preparation. What's interesting is the year after Alex free soloed El Capitan, two climbers were attempting the same route with ropes. It was uh, uh, not, not typical ropes. It was a more dangerous version of using ropes, but they still had ropes, and two climbers attempting the same route died a year after he did that. The obvious question when you see something like that is, why? Why do that? Why would you want to attempt? His girlfriend, you heard her in the video. Uh, Some of you may have, I know the video might have been hard to hear. Some of you may have heard her say, it's really hard for me to understand why he wants this. Why would someone take such risks as that? And all people who do things like this, 
They all have the same answer, same basic answer, uh, and trying to explain why. Let me give you another person. His name is Luke Atkins or Akins. He's the only person who successfully skydived from 25,000 foot without a parachute and landed. I think this happened in California, as a matter of fact. I'm, I can't remember. But they had four cranes out with this huge net. He jumped from a plane from 25,000 foot. No parachute. Had to be on target and precise with his descent. Landed on the net. Only person to ever do that. And someone had asked him. Moms, you'll identify with this. Someone had asked him, uh, what does your mom think about this project? <laughs> this is what he said. My mom supports me. She doesn't support the project. And so then this person that was asking Luke these questions said, well, why don't you listen to her? And this is what he said. I'm proving that we can do stuff that we don't think we can typically do if we approach it the right way. In our passage, we're going to find a person just like you and I who believes in Jesus, who believes his God is big, And he's going to attempt something impossible. I'm just taking my time. I want to make sure that you're staying along with me. I don't want you to get lost in the familiarity of the story. I don't want you to get lost in that. I want to make sure that it it is fresh in your mind tonight. And so you're in Matthew 14. Let's begin reading In verse number 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. When the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now tossed in the midst of the sea, uh, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. The disciples saw him walking on the sea. They were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter, answering him, said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to, say it for me. Father, I come before you, and I, I just would ask, please, that you'd give us a vision tonight, afresh, of how big you are. Most of us know that conceptually. I know that conceptually, but far too often, I live as it only being a philosophy, not a reality. I don't want to live that way. I know you don't want us to live that way. You're alive. You're here tonight. You were here this morning. 
Help us, please, to see a vision of who you are in, in a way that's not just why I was in church and I heard a message and I heard a story that I've heard preached for years and years. No, God, please, would you make your word alive tonight? Let it, let it move us from the inside out, please. We'll ask it in Christ's name. Everyone said, Amen. Really didn't matter whether you're talking about people who walk on water uh, during a storm or skydive from 20,000, 25,000 foot or free solo 3,000 vertical foot of cliff. It doesn't matter what you're talking about in the realm of anyone who does something impossible. They all have one thing in common. I really believe this. They all have one thing in common. I'm convinced that they're simply reflecting who they were created to be. I'm not saying Alex Hanold is a believer. I'm not saying Luke Atkins is a believer. But but you don't have to believe in God to reap the benefits of gravity. You can be an atheist and still reap the benefits of the law that God created. And, And I really believe that... People who attempt these great things, whether they recognize it or identify it or not, they are just living out what they were created to be. We're created in the image of, say it for me, of God. And because God is great and God, I think that God has done some great things since he has created history and humanity. Amen. And through that, we've seen that God has accomplished great things. And because I was created in the image of God. He's put this thing that we can identify and see from even a little age that we have these desires to want to do great things. Jaden, I don't know what he wants to be. I imagine it wouldn't be uh, over the top for him to say, I want to be an astronaut, right? And I want to be this and that. And I remember one time I told my parents, I was I think I was in junior high or elementary school, I want to be a truck driver. And I don't know, that's not anything bad about truck drivers, but I just thought truck drivers were cool, man. I just wanted to be able to drive a truck. I'm just saying that when we look at the scriptures, we see over and over, listen, we see over and over, uh, whether it's a man or a woman, we see these people who are living out, doing the impossible. We see that over and over and over again. We saw Noah who built an impossible ark for an impossible flood. We see Moses who confronted an impossible foe and then led the children of God against uh, through an impossible body of water. We saw Joshua confront an impossible city and see some impossible walls fall down. We saw Esther who confronted an impossible foe and an impossible plot. And God literally did the impossible. And the reason the Jewish people are still here today goes back to a woman who knew God can do the impossible, and she prayed and fasted. Hallelujah. I thought I'd get an amen, at least from the ladies on that one. We saw David in an impossible fight. No one, no one thought he could do it. And he knew he couldn't do it. But he believed his God was big enough. He believed that his God wasn't just some fuzzy thought in his head that he was taught as a kid. He believed that God was real. And even as an 18-year-old boy, he believed he could grasp onto the truth of God and see this big God uh, be actively involved in his life as a teenager. Amen. He can work in your life. 
if you believe he's big enough. Amen. Daniel with some impossible lines. We just go on down the line of story after story of these people who were only living out what they were created to be, to accomplish these great things for God's glory. Amen. Matthew 14, we find Peter attempting a great task, an impossible task. It's impossible. I spent a lot of time around the lake the last couple days. Where'd Robbie go? Is Robbie taking a nap? His baby would do to her. Yeah, amen, giving his wife a break. That's a good, that's a good husband right there. I didn't see one of the kids. I saw them skip over the water after they got thrown off the tube a couple times, but they didn't stay on top of water. They sunk. I've never seen anybody walk on water. Have you? You believe God still does the impossible today? The Bible says in Psalm 77, 14, Thou art a God that doest wonders. It's present tense. No, 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 no. He's not a God that did wonders, though he has done wonders. He's not a God that will do wonders in the book of Revelation. He's a God that is doing wonders somewhere today in this globe, in this earth. Though, though the nations are, are positioned against God and against Christianity, somewhere today God did some wonders. I believe that. And I believe God wants to do wonders in our life. And often the reason we can't see impossible things is because God's bigness is only theoretical in our life and not a reality. Yeah. I don't want to live that way. I told you I'm preaching to me just as much as I'm preaching to you. I don't want to live that way. Matthew 14, here is Peter and he does the impossible. Now, I want to give you three things about accomplishing great things. Listen, uh, I, I, I read to you the quote from Luke. Uh, Luke, the guy who skydived, and this is what he said. I'll read it to you again. I'm proving that we can do stuff that we don't think we can do if we approach it the right way way. There are some ingredients. When you see God do the impossible with the saints of God that I just mentioned, there are some common ingredients, and I want to give you three. Look, if you want to see God do some great things, I hope that by the time we're done and we have invitation time, that, that the altars will be flooded and we'll say, God, I want to get in on the impossible. God, I believe that you can do the impossible in me. I hope that's the case, but I want to give you three things that are common ingredients in seeing God do the impossible in your life. The first ingredient I want to set up a little bit. I, want to, I don't want to tell you right away. And so I want you to, uh, uh, well, before I read verse 28, I want to tell you how this message came about. Before I started Northway, I was... I was honestly, I was scared to start a church. I'm so scared today. <laughs> I don't know how many churches you started, Brother Cook. Good night. You're crazy. Either that or you're a man of faith, or maybe a little bit of both. It's hard work. It's scary. And as I'm trying to just follow the Lord, I was just going through my normal Bible reading. Just doing my normal Bible reading. I came across Matthew 14, 
And I read this story, and you know what it's like, a familiar story. But God, it's like the Holy Ghost. Listen, it's like the Holy Ghost moves in as you're reading your Bible. It's like God is manifesting. I believe God manifests himself uh, in an intangible way, yet it's so real if we would just habitually read the Bible. And it's one of those moments, not every moment is like that, but one of those moments where I'm just reading my Bible and it's like God showed up in the room. And I really feel like God pressed upon my heart and asked me this question. John, why do you think Peter attempted to walk on water? And so I just began to examine the possible answers. I thought, oh, well, uh, I can identify with Peter in all the bad ways. That's easy for me to identify with Peter, right? Uh, Peter, I think you probably like to show off, right? I think we got enough evidence from the life of Peter, right? Uh, us men, can I just get some help uh, tonight? We like to show off. Oh, yeah. yeah, we do. If you can do something good, you like to show off while acting like you're not showing off. I can imagine Peter doing that. I mean, it's just right up his alley. But I, I really don't think that Peter was trying to show off here. And I thought, well, maybe he just had some selfish ambitions in him, and he wanted to prove that he could do things that the other disciples couldn't. And I thought, well, I mean, that wouldn't be beyond Peter either. Jesus said, all of you are going to... Turn on me tonight. Remember what Peter said? (laughs) He said, do you see these guys? All these guys, you're probably talking about them because ain't no way I'm going to turn on you. They might turn on you. I ain't going to turn on you. I thought, well, maybe maybe it's a selfish ambition, but I'm convinced that's not the right answer either. The answer is real simple. Would you listen to me? Listen, the answer is real simple, and it's in verse 28. Would you look at it? Peter answered him and said, Lord, if that's you, would you bid me come unto thee on the water? Look up here. Jesus, if that's you, can I just, can I just get closer to you? Can I just be close to you? That's an amazing, it's an amazing Statement by Peter, he's in, the, he's in the midst of a storm, in a boat, in a storm. You don't go out of the boat. You're holding on to the boat. You're not getting out of the boat. And Peter is requesting a change in his position, and it has zero to do with his concern of safety. In fact, his desire to change his position actually places him in greater danger than if he were to stay in the boat and and I really believe his request to change his position to be able to attempt to walk on water was very very simple he just loved Jesus and wanted it to be close to Jesus do you have that desire well I'm about to say your pastor really should say what I'm about to say and I'll let him clean up any mess that I make I wonder what Peter would have done today with COVID. I'm saying I think we have enough truth right here in this story 
that he wanted to be close to Jesus, and he was even willing to place himself in danger and risk and do the impossible just to be close to Jesus. And how many voices are we hearing? It's dangerous to go to church. But here's what I know about church. That's where God is. And, and Solomon, uh, 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 David said, the beauty of the Lord is in the house of the Lord in Psalms 27. The reason his beauty is there because God is there. And I want to be where God is. And if I have to expose myself to danger by the grace of God, nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to be where God is. I'm going to show up in the house of God. And whether that's COVID, that's waiting for me, I don't care. I want to be close to God. Man, what does your desire for God look like? I was praying with Pastor last night, and we found an excuse to ride our bikes. We went to the BMX track, and we prayed on the BMX track, and I got convicted of something. I got convicted at our church. You know, I'm always, uh, we're always trying to influence people to walk with God and desire God. I'm not sure that I've done a good job of teaching them that. When I see, when I see David who loved God, you know what I see? I see a man who would go out alone. And lift up his hands to the heavens and just cry, God, please. I'm thirsty for you. Would you manifest yourself to me? I see a man who would get alone and cry out to God. God, I thirst for you. Please be real in my life. Wondering, how often do you do that? Is it habitual for you once a week, twice a week to just get all alone and maybe go out into a field? Just do what David did. Say, God, just raise your hands to the heavens. Say, God, I... I don't even know how to do this, but I know David thirsted for you, and this is what he did. And said, God, I want to know you more. I want that. I want to know God. I believe I can know him. I don't believe I've taught my I don't believe I've taught people to do that. I want to. I want to change that. I'm asking you, do you do that? It's easy to come to church and we got all the mechanics right. The last time you went out all alone and just cried out to the Lord. We worshiped the Lord this morning. I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes, but if the only place you worship is in the house of God, that leans, I'm not calling you a Pharisee, but that leans towards that direction. The Pharisees, all their worship was all about what is done in the public. Jesus talked about a closet. I'm just saying, listen, you know what? moved and drove Peter to want to do the impossible is this passion, this authentic desire just to be close to God. And I'm asking, do you have that? If you don't have that, the likelihood of you attempting something impossible for God is very, very low.
You know, for me, a pastor had mentioned the area that God's called us to start a church. It's very affluent. The median household uh, price for a home in our area, I think, is six ninety-five. The last time I checked, six hundred ninety-five thousand. Most of the communities around us are gated. You can't get in there. There's no door knocking or canvassing. I didn't grow up that way. And I didn't pick Scottsdale. I wasn't trying to do something. Get this. But how do, how do you pick what great thing you're going to do? You don't pick. You know what you do? You pursue God. I wasn't trying to pick Scottsdale. I wasn't even trying to pick church planning. I just wanted to know God. I just said, God, I just I want to be faithful to you. And as you do that, that desire, he sees that and he says, I have something impossible that I want you to do. I'm so thankful. And, and God has the same thing for you. And it may not be church planning. It might be here being the best worker in your occupation that, uh, that you can be. And God using that to increase your influence so you can get your co-workers here. So you can get your neighbors here. I don't know what it is, but God has something impossible and great that he wants you to do. It's not just for pastors. Listen, it's not just for ministry workers and youth pastors and the song leader and the pastor's wife. No, it's for all people who claim to believe in a big God. Amen. Starts with a desire for God. I, I got to thinking about this. I believe that uh, when, we, when we talk about a desire for God, I, I got to thinking, I went back to the illustration of these men that have done these impossible things, Luke and, and then also Alex. And, and if I could just go back for him, he, he said, I want to prove that we can do things that we don't think that we can do. And, and I would agree with that answer, but it doesn't express the full authentic reason. Let me explain. Why didn't Alex Hanold attempt the impossible in ballet? I know that's funny, but, but it's also a legitimate question. Why didn't he attempt the impossible in ballet or mathematics? Why didn't he attempt the impossible uh, and try to... Uh, accomplish some mathematical feat like Einstein did or biochemistry? Uh, the, the answer is very simple. That's not where his desire was. His desire, in fact, someone asked him, it wasn't in this clip, someone asked him, when do you think that you'll quit climbing? And this is what he said, I'll quit, I'll quit when I'm no longer passionate about it. If you don't have a passion for God, it's impossible for you to accomplish the impossible. I want to give you, I want to give you the second thing. Not only do you need a desire for God, I know this is so basic and so obvious, but you need faith in God. Are you in Matthew 14? I want you to go to verse 28 again. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee. On the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. I, I love this because Peter didn't say, Well, Jesus, you know how strong and talented I am to be able to walk to you on the water. 
You know how much experience I have on the boat. It wasn't that. I don't know if you noticed it. it he didn't have a get or done kind of attitude, which I, look, there's a, there's a place for that. We ought to be, there's a lot of guys that have a get or done kind of attitude as it relates to their work, but not necessarily as spiritual things. But it wasn't Peter's get or done kind of attitude that got this done. He, he recognized this. He asked Jesus, Jesus, if that's you, would you give me, get this, would you give me permission to come to you? And he believed if I have God's permission, that I have God's power. If I have God's permission, then I have God's power. If I have God's permission, then I have God's power. I want you to say it with me. I'm unsatisfied with your response to that statement. Would you say it with me? If I have God's permission, I have God's power. Do it one more time because I messed up. I don't even know my own statement. If I have God's permission, then I have God's power. We see this in Moses' life. He has two attempts to follow the will of God. The first one was done by his own permission. How'd that work out for him? Didn't work out good, did it? He understood that God was going to use him in a great way to do the impossible. But he attempted it in his own plans. It goes back to our possessions and making sure that the things that God has given us, we need to make sure that they're in line or position based on God's purpose. That's what we heard this morning. And, and so what Moses was trying to do is take the possessions, the calling that God had given him, but align it how he wanted to, not how God wanted to. But if it's not aligned according to God's purpose, then you don't have God's power. Peter understands, man, if I, have, if I ask permission, Jesus, can I come to you? And he says, yes, I have all the power I need to do the impossible. And that's why he did. He stepped out. I just want to tell you, can you just listen to me? You have God's permission to be a witness. You, you don't need to get older to be a, a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. You don't need to. You don't need to. I just want to say to those that are, you've been going to the same job for 30 years or 20 years. Let's just say you've been going to the same job for five or 10 years. How many people from your occupation have come to church? I'm not trying to be hard on you. I'm really not. I don't want to be hard on you. But if I understand the scriptures right, You've got God's permission to be a light. You've got God's permission to let the Holy Ghost run all up in your business and to glow through your words, through your disposition, disposition and to influence those around you. And our purpose here is to invite others to the gospel. And if you've been at your place of work for even more than a year or two years, when's the last time someone from your work came to church came to a friend day, came to a special day. Last time I checked, we have God's permission to be a witness unto all the world. He said, go into all the world. And because we have God's permission, you have God's power. It's not dependent on your ability. Peter's ability had zero factor in his ability to walk on water. He had God's permission because he had God's permission. He had God's power and he believed it. Do you believe it? It may be that some of you where the impossible begins is that neighbor that God's already placed on your heart or that coworker that God's already placed on your heart that maybe you've tried once or twice and you gave up. And maybe that's what God wants from you tonight is to commit to that or that person. I don't know. I don't know. Faith in God. Faith in God. Mm. If you would have looked at me growing up, 
nothing that you would have seen would have said Scottsdale where, where I minister. You know, some of the common cars in my area where I minister are Mercedes. Honestly, Pastor Powell's been there. Brother Hetzer's been there. Mercedes, Audi, BMW, Tesla. Honestly, I mean, almost a dime a dozen there. You know, I just got a new vehicle, but you know what I had before that? I had a 2003 Yukon. I already had the hood painted once uh, from Mako. And if you ever tried Mako, the paint job doesn't last very long on Mako. And so it started to rust. And this is in Arizona, the humidity of 10%. It already started to rust. And it looks like someone took a machine gun to my hood. And it's got all these splotches on it. And here I am driving around. And I'm just saying that, look, I don't have any, I don't have any ability to reach the affluent. But I don't need the ability. Do I need to learn? Yes. But look, it's not dependent upon my heritage. I didn't have to be rich or understand. You know, it's important how you eat. I found out when I moved there, it's important to eat the right way and hold the, your fork and your knife the right. I'm serious about this, that, that you just don't eat any old way. You're going to put up a wall with those that I minister to. You've got to hold your fork and hold your knife in a certain way. You got to put it in your mouth a certain way. If not, they they recognize. And I'm just saying, I'm, uh, there are things I have to learn. But listen, doing that the proper way won't change their heart. I'm really convinced that God's given me the permission to be an influence on them. And because I have His permission, I have His power, and it has zero to do with my ability. Do you believe that? If you believe that, you don't have any excuses as to why you can't reach people around you. Anyone hear me? We don't have any excuses. Mm, 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 mm. I have a quote here I want to give you before I move on. John Piper said this. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestations of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply from God and are satisfied. Rather, it's because you've nibbled so long at the table of the world that your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. I believe that God can use me in a great way. And if you have a desire for God combined with authentic faith, not theoretical faith, not I've grown up and heard this all my life kind of faith, throw that out. It's valuable, but look, just saying, I've heard this all my life. That won't change your life. It won't get you walking on water. It's faith. Faith. Desire for God. Faith in God. Let me give you the last thing is a focus on God. A focus on God. I'm going to show you a verse here in just a minute. I love mountains. I love hiking. I love, I love endurance activities. I love watching stories about Mount Everest. If you've ever watched one of those, you ask those same questions. Why would you want to attempt that knowing the potential for death? There's been over 300 fatalities to those that have attempted Everest. Do you know that of those fatalities, over 25% made it to the top? Did you know that? point I'm trying to make is having a good start that's definitely helpful in 
being able to accomplish great things, but it doesn't guarantee a victory. Not only do you have to start right, you have to keep your focus. Peter's great start didn't guarantee a great finish for him. Look at verse 29. And he said, come. When Peter was come down out of the ship, out of the ship, he walked on the water. What a great start. Wouldn't you like to have been there? Yes, I want to be there. I want to see that. I mean, he walked on water. I just, I just imagine. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the other disciples? I mean, there they are. There are all 12 of them right there. They're all hunkered down, afraid. These grown men, afraid. I like being around manly men, intense men. I love police and military. I, uh, I love endurance athletes. I love, P- I love MMA fighters and kung fu fighters and kung fu panda and all of that. I love really intense guys. And, and these men, these men, Peter, he's an intense man. These men are intense men, fishermen, some of them. These are not men that are easily frightened. And here they are, all of them. They're hunkered down, crying out, it's a ghost out there. And Peter, he calls out after he hears Jesus, Jesus, is that really you? If that's you, would you give me permission to come unto you? Jesus says, come. All the disciples are listening. They're hunkered down, and they're like, Pfft. they probably didn't have that disposition. I'm just thinking, how I, if, if I was them, what would I be thinking? Peter, you ain't getting up. And Peter stands up, and the boat's still rocking. And he steps up off the side, and you, you know they're all staring. It's not right to stare, but in this circumstance, it's okay to stare. Not only are they staring you know they got their mouth open, stinky breath coming out and everything. And Peter is on the edge, and he's getting ready to step. I'm not sure how much of a drop-off. I would imagine at least several feet as this boat is rocking. All eyes are on Peter. He steps off, and they're expected not to see Peter again and just hear a kerplunk, if they could, because the wind was so loud. And Peter steps off, and he's just uh, floating on these waves. Going up and down, and I can just imagine all of them. Started off right. Started off right, so good. But notice verse 30. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. Matthew, I don't know if you see it here. He tells us that it was what Peter saw that changed his disposition, which then changed his position. Okay, question. What was it that Peter saw that caused him to sink? Say it for me. The wind, the waves. And I'm just thinking... You didn't notice that before? You were hunkered down so much, crying out, thinking it's a ghost when it's Jesus. You didn't happen to notice the... You didn't notice that before? Of course he noticed it. 
But Matthew, when he says verse 30, he's not, he's not saying that Peter didn't see it before. He's telling us that his focus changed. See, at the end of verse 29, the very end of verse 29, you see what his focus is on. It's on Jesus. I, we even saw this, um, I think it was out on the water. We saw this this weekend. If I'm thinking correctly, I don't know. But uh, they were trying to, I, yeah, I think it was Naya. Where are you, Naya? Sorry to I'm throw you under the bus or throw you in the water in this case. Naya was uh, wakeboarding. Ashland, Ashland did amazing. Got up the first time, the second time, the third, every time she got up. Good job, Ashland. Uh, that won't get you too far in eternity, but it looks really cool anyway. Anyways, my wife or my uh, daughter, she she uh, was getting up, but I think I think she was looking down and um, and she was looking too close. And when you look too close, it it, uh, it messes up your your perspective and your balance. And so she was kind of wobbling. And so Pastor had said, Naya, you need to look straight ahead. In the end of verse 29, Peter's looking straight ahead. He's not focused on what's in front of him, the wind. and He's not focused on the waves. He's focused on Jesus. But that begins to change. And he gets looking on his circumstances. And he begins to sink. I'm just saying that's, that's so easy for all of us to do. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church. You know the right thing to do. You know to read your Bible. You know to put your tie on Sunday morning and come to church. And you can go through the routine. And it's so easy to let the distractions, the storms of life distract us. And sometimes we can sink and not even know that we're sinking until it's too late. That's what's happening to Peter. He lost his focus. Can I just warn you? I hope that you're going to pray and say, God, I want to do the impossible. Would you help me do the impossible? I hope you pray that. But time out. I just want to warn you, if you pray that, that's scary. Because you know what God might do? He might put you in a storm like this. Because he wants to see, do you really believe I have all power? Do you really believe I can do the impossible? Do you really believe that? He might put you in a storm and, uh, with your peers. Might, might be some temptation that goes on. Might be some uh, arguments that uh, take place. I don't know. Uh, he's going to put you in a storm. Uh, if you're going to pray, God, I want to do the impossible, he might put you in a financial storm. You know what it's real easy to do in a financial storm? You start looking at the wind and the waves. You know what that will do? That will take your focus off Jesus. And you'll start looking at your bills and uh, the, the wind, the bills that are coming in. And you'll start looking. I think we heard about it this morning with the tithe. And you'll say, well, I mean, I'm not sure I can pay my tithe this week because I got this medical bill. And surely God understands because I got this medical bill. Well, I just lost my job. Surely God understands. And I'm just saying, real easy with financial storms. It's, look, we can, get, we can be real hard on Peter for losing focus be on, on the wind and the waves and the externals. And we do the very same thing when finances get tight. How about when uh, there's a, a relationship or a marital storms? Isn't a bummer that, man, if you're going to be married for any amount of time, you're going to have a storm. Man, that's a bummer. And it's so easy to let all the emotions distract you from what you need to be focused on, on Jesus, on loving your wife and, and setting aside you, how you feel at the moment. And, and you get off track. And, and it, may be, it may be a financial storm. It may be a relational storm. It might be a health storm. I don't know, but uh, what I do know is when we get focused on the externals, we begin to sink our... De- our desire for Jesus 
begins to sink. Our faith in Jesus begins to sink. And maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe you're fatigued because you've been through the storm. I've been there. Cancer survivor. I've been there. Should be bankrupt. I've been there. It's hard. I, I know it's hard. And maybe, maybe God's brought you here to hear this message just to realign your focus because your desire has sunk and your faith has sunk. And you need to know that your God is bigger. Listen, your God is bigger than those bills. Your God is bigger than those difficulties of emotion that you have towards your wife or towards that family member that has caused that harm. Your God is bigger than that. Do you believe it? Maybe that's why God brought you here tonight. Just to refocus you. Yeah, just to refocus you. When you get out of focus, what do you do? You you do what Peter did. Look at verse 30. I'll wrap this up. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. What do you do when you start to lose your focus? You come to an altar and you cry out, God, I'm sorry. I haven't been reading my Bible like I should. I've lost focus. What do you do when you have an emotional storm, a relationship storm that plagues you at night when you, you can't go to bed and you wake up and it's recycling in your head and, and so you get so focused on that you forget about your devotions and, and, and prayer time goes out the window and maybe that's you. What do you do when you start sinking? Your desire starts sinking. Your faith and your focus starts sinking. You do what Peter says and you come to an altar. You make an altar at your house and you say, God... I need help. I'm sinking. Would you help me? Do you think Peter was like, um, okay, he's sinking. He's down the water. Water's up to his neck. Do you think he's like, <clears throat> hey, um, hey, Jesus, I'm sinking here. Can you help me? You got time to help me? You think that's what he did? Lord, help me! Hey! Don't be afraid to cry out to Jesus. Don't be afraid to come to an altar. Don't be afraid to make an altar in your room. When you mess up, cry out to Him. I don't ever, I don't ever want to be ashamed of, of being passionate, just like I said, and crying out to Jesus. I don't want to be ashamed to come to an altar like David did, like Abraham did, like Isaac, like Joseph, and come to an altar. I don't care who's looking. And I want to say, God, I need help. Bring me back up, please. Don't be afraid to do that. So when you find yourself sinking like Peter, do what Peter did. You find your focus is off. Do what Peter did and cry out to him. Amen. Now, I want to close if I can. You don't mind if I close, do you? I want to go back to I want to go to back to Alex Honnold. Can I just, let me tell you a story before I do that. I want to see more of these. I haven't seen enough. I made a certain commitment concerning witnessing to people. I was out mountain biking in a mountain called South Mountain in Phoenix. 
It was during the summertime. It was hot. Our hot is different than your hot. I was mountain biking, and uh, the trail I was doing was, it was a climb and real technical, really tough. And, uh, and so I was climbing, and uh, I came across this guy, and, and he was walking his bike up the section I was riding. And, and I kind of visited with him, said, hey, how you doing? And, and I passed him, and I kept going. I stopped a, a little bit higher up on the mountain, and I was taking a break, and he finally made his way up there. And so since I saw him again, I really felt like the Lord said, I want you to talk to him. And so I did. He, I got my jersey on and my spandex on, and I'm out there talking to him. And, and uh, he was really down. He went out to go mountain biking because he lost his job. His marriage was a mess. And he just was like, I'm not even sure if God is listening. I actually came out here just to try to get some answers from God. And I said, are you, he seemed as though he knew the Lord. He had a testimony of salvation, but wasn't in church. Had stopped going to church. He pulled a Peter, got distracted. Job got hard. Marriage got hard. Got distracted. Got down. And said, I just need some answers. And right before he went out in mountain, he said, God, I just need some answers. And here I am. I saw him a second time. And I said, listen, I can tell it's rough. And, and when I first engaged him, as soon as I, he knew I was going to engage him spiritually, kind of the walls went up. You, you know what that's like, right? The walls went up. And, and by God's grace, those walls were able to come down. I said, listen, man, you've got to find a church. He wasn't close enough. I, uh, our church is in the North Valley. And I was in South Mountains, the south side of the valley. And so was, he's really far away from our church. So you just got to find a church. Well, two months, three months passed. I was in Sedona, mountain biking with some friends. Sedona's two hours north of where we were mountain biking. I was, uh, I was ahead of the rest of the group, and I had passed this group that was resting, another group that we weren't with. I passed this group that was over here resting. And uh, I guess as I passed him, someone recognized me. And then when the person in my group who was behind me said, hey, do you know such and such who was just up ahead? And they said, yeah. Well, this person that recognized me got on his bike and tried to catch me. And I, was, I had stopped further up the trail to wait for the rest of my group. And here comes this guy. And he says, do you remember me? Guess who it was? It was the guy I saw on South Mountain. And he just said, I just want to thank you for stopping me that day. I got back in church. I got a good job now. My marriage is good. I just want to thank you. And I tried to redirect him and said, look, that was a God thing. That wasn't me. I'm just, you know what that is? That's called an impossibility. You can see that. Listen, is anyone listening to this? You can see that. You don't have to be a pastor to be able to do that. You can see that if you believe your God's big enough. I'm going to close with Alex Hanold. A guy named Mark Sinat is a close friend of Alex. He wrote a book about what Alex was able to accomplish. What he says about Alex relates to us and is extremely convicting to me. I want to give you, read to you a few quotes 
that he said about Alex. Are you ready? I'm almost done. Piano player can actually make her way to the piano. That'd be great. Listen to what he said. The reason he is able to free solo huge, this is Mark saying this about Alex, his friend. The reason he's able to free solo huge rock walls is because he has meticulously trained his mind over the course of decades to control his innate fears. Goes on to explain in his book how they did these intensive MRI studies on Alex's mind. They found no biological abnormalities that would lead him to say, well, this was natural for Alex. He's an abnormality. They didn't find that. They found his brain to be basically normal like yours and like mine. However, when they tested his response to fear, it failed to detect a normal response. Mark, his friend in his book, points out that that wasn't natural for Alex. Remember, I told you at the beginning of the message that Alex had prepared mentally, began preparing mentally for two year, for 10 years, trying to prepare his mind for the fear that uh, grips a hold of you when you're 100, 200, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 foot up, and one fall means that you're dead. And he began to train his mind for 10 years. And he goes on and he says that, that Alex's ability to control his fear, get this, isn't natural for him. It's because he's trained his mind to think that way. A man who doesn't believe in God trained his mind to overcome fear. Is anyone listening to what I'm saying? A man who's not even a believer trained his mind to get over fear. And then listen to what Mark says. People want to explain him away. They want it to be something that doesn't place a demand on them because if Alex is just an ordinary guy who managed to transform himself into this superhuman-like figure of fearlessness, then they should be able to do that too. Handled, he says, is an ordinary guy, but one who has managed to acutely control his emotions. We all have our El Capitan, Mark said. If Hanold can climb, free climb El Capitan, what could we accomplish if we truly set our minds to it? This is humanism, and I don't believe in that. I don't believe you can say that if you, uh, what's the phrase? You can do whatever you put your mind to. I don't believe that, just for the record. But here's what I do believe. If a man like, get this, if a man like Alex Hanold can accomplish the impossible, train his mind to accomplish the impossible. Someone who doesn't even believe in a resurrected Jesus Christ, if he can do the impossible, risk his life, where are the believers? Where are the believers who believe in a great God that's alive, that resurrected Jesus Christ out from the grave? Where are they? Where are the impossible things? that they have accomplished. Where are all the believers who have grown up in church saying, oh, the power of Jesus, it's great. Oh, yes, I know this Jesus. He's alive. Where are the impossible feats? Where are the people from your occupation that are here whose lives have been transformed? I'm just saying, where are they? Alex Hanold has trained himself.
to do the impossible without the power of God. Can you imagine what we could accomplish if we trusted in his power and believed it to be more than just a theory, theoretical concept? Amen. amen and amen. Today, maybe what God wants you to do is just enact a greater desire. It may be that today, God just wants you to commit to maybe setting up routine teenagers. Listen, where you just get alone twice a week, and you're going to put it on your calendar on Tuesday and Thursday. I'm going to get all alone with God, and I'm going to study David. I'm going to look at how he cried out to God. And I'm going to start doing that. Because I want to accomplish the impossible. But I know I've got to have a desire that puts me there. Maybe that's, where, that maybe that's what you need to focus on. And then those that might say, I, I have a desire for God. Can I just ask you a question? You have a, you have a vacation already on your schedule for next year? I bet you at least one person does. Let me ask you a question. You, you have any occupational goals on your agenda for next year? I bet you one of you does in here. Guys, any, anyone in here have some home renovation plans? on your agenda? I bet you someone does. What about God? You have anything on your agenda that says, I want to see God do this? I'm not saying your house shouldn't be important. I'm saying if your house is important enough to make an agenda list to get accomplished, surely God God is on the agenda. People are being inundated in this culture further away from God. Who's going to reach them? Today be a good, tonight would be a good night to reinvigorate your desire for God, to reinvigorate your faith, and maybe just say, God, I don't have anything big on my plan spiritually, but I feel like I should after hearing this message. And maybe you need to come to this altar and just say, God, what do you want on my agenda? My maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your coworker. I don't know. I refuse to have an unbeliever have bigger, impossible dreams than what I do. I refuse. How about you? Father, we come to you today. You're a big God. You're alive. You're alive, Lord. I don't want to just sing songs about you being big. I don't want to live that way. I want to live, Lord, with big dreams, not, not for me. I want to do great things for you. I want to be willing to attempt, at least attempt the impossible, just like Peter, just like David, just like Esther, just like Ruth, Naomi. I pray tonight that 
you would help at least, at least some in here to come before you and say, God, would you give me a, a big dream, a big plan, a, something big for your namesake, for your glory that I can attempt. Please, please, Lord, would you accomplish your very will and purpose tonight. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand? I'm just saying, I'm going to call Christians who believe in a big God. I'm going to call Christians. Would you come and pray, God, would you use me in a great way? God, would you, would you give me a vision, a plan of something that I know I can't do, but, but I know that you can do? God, would you use me in a great way? Come on, saints of God. Let's not be bashful. Let's be willing to come and say, God, please use me in a great way. God, please let me reach my neighbor. God, please let me reach my coworker. God, it's been a long time since I've had anyone from work come to church. God, I know, I know that you want me to reach them. Please help me. Use this person. Use that person. It's time to respond to the Lord. You can look this way. So I, I'm thinking during the message in my own life, you know, what are the, what are the El Capitans? What are the waters, if you will, that God wants? You know, what are the waters for our church? Because I believe God wants churches to step out on the water. And if I told you all the things that were going through my mind, it would maybe scare some of you. But there's some mountains God wants us to climb. Some waters. You know, about my personal life, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be complicated. There's a couple of things God brought to my attention. One of them is 
I'll be, I might tell you everything about it, but I just want to make sure the mountain of my children's heart is conquered for God. But I'm, I'm not going to do that as a dad by sitting on the sideline. I got to be climbing that mountain every day with them. Mm. Some of you are facing mountains right now. You got some El Caps in your life and you can climb them. You should have some. And let's, I, I, tell, I don't know why I'm still trying to make sense of it all. It seemed like God has done some amazing things through this shut, through the, the coronavirus thing and, and the way that you've responded, the, the, the team dynamic and all of that. But I, I, I don't want to fall into this. Well, we, you know, we're, we're back to kind of attending and it's kind of normal and we're just, we're just going to take it easy. We need to be moving because God is moving, God is working, and that needs to be in your own individual life, and that needs to be in our life as a church. And I understand there's dynamics that we're trying to work through, but man, God, God can still work. And over these last few weeks, just in my own heart, feeling that we need to make sure we don't lose sight of that. Because there are people that die, and they either go to heaven or they go to hell. There are addicts out there that will either be rescued or they will be ruined. There are marriages that will be destroyed or that will be salvaged. There are people that will commit suicide and hopelessness or they will find hope. And we are the source of that. But you've got to get where Peter was. You've got to be on that boat looking at the Savior saying, I want to do something. There's something. And young people, I hope you got it. And it'd be good, moms and dads, to help your young people learn how to cry out to God. That shouldn't be something they hear some guy up here that they might see a couple other times in their lifetime talking about. This should be something they see their dad and mom doing. That was good. Anyway, I could go on. I'm thankful for it. Miss Jessica, thank you for playing. That's a blessing. We serve, uh, we serve a great God, and, and I agree with this thought. I don't, I don't want an atheist, and I've read a lot about Alex Honnold, it, one, of, one of my favorite secular characters because of his devotion to doing something. His devotion is phenomenal. His detailed devotion is phenomenal. I don't want to be outlived by a godless atheist who mocks Christianity. No, he does. I've read, I've read his statements. He does. And yet I'm afraid that a godless atheist lives with more commitment and devotion and discipline than people who claim to believe in a great God. It's great. So thankful for it. Well, I need to spend time with the Lord. And I just, you know, he, he talked about how, you know, we forget the preaching. You can forget the title and, or, you know, that don't, don't forget what God is talking to you about right now. Would you please would you please do something to make sure that's solidified? And and we'll seek the Lord together. You seek the Lord as a family, we'll seek the Lord together about how, how we move forward in the days ahead. I just I'm gonna keep promoting this until God says otherwise. I believe our best, best days can still be ahead of us. Hallelujah. As mean God, what God did, he will do, but he can be doing here. 
And I want him to be doing something in this part of the globe. All right, enough talking. I love you. Everyone that's watching online, thank you for being a part of the services. I love you.